Hello everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. We have really put you guys through the ringer lately with some pretty dark episodes, so today we are exploring a much more lighthearted story. Yeah, seriously, uh, don't get us wrong, this story is tragic in its own way, but what we're about to talk about is just bonkers. Of course, today we are covering the true story of Cocaine Bear. You've probably seen the trailers by now. And by the time you hear this, you may have already seen the movie, actually. But today we are taking you all back to the year 1985 to explore what really happened. That's right. We are going to be talking about not only what happened when a black bear managed to get its paws on a boatload of booger sugar, but exactly how it all wound up in the middle of a forest to begin with. As well as the man who was responsible for it all, Andrew Carter Thornton II. This is a tale so outrageous that many of you might find it hard to believe. But as always, we are here to bring you the grim truth behind the story of Cocaine Bear. Excuse me, he does have a name. I'm sorry, you're right. The grim truth behind the story of Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows I have a huge fear of bears, whether it's in a video game or in real life. I expected to go into all this thinking it was scary, but honestly, I just found it to be a combination of unbelievably wacky, but sad, too. Mm -hmm. The whole really does read like a movie script. Even with the embellishments that they made, I can see why it made for a great idea for a film. Well, I mean, we do live, of course, in the Great White North, so an encounter with a bear in real life is really not out of the question, especially if you grew up in rural Alberta like I did. I mean, I've got a couple of stories about bear encounters, but they are totally friend-shaped, so I can see why you might forget that they are dangerous, but I'm not stupid. Yeah, they're they're scary, scary boys. I mean, if you've ever driven through um, Banff National Park or Jasper National Park, the amount of times you'll see tourists uh, pulled over on the highway that are way too close to the wildlife, often bears, so... That always blows my mind, and I see it every single time I go there and it's just like what are you doing like you don't have to be like from a place with moose to know that you should stay away from the giant no. ass moose or especially a bear or wolves or something like I've Absolutely. never understood that me either even when we came to visit Canada before we actually moved um we were lucky enough to see um a bear while we were here and we kind of parked further back and we were observing it from a good distance. And there's so many other people that were like pulled right up and getting out of their cars. And my dad's like, just watch. <laughs> Somebody is going to get eaten here in a sec. Like, you especially I mean, luckily, see that with bison here. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, guys, those are huge, unpredictable, wild animals. I, th I think that's just called Darwinism, though. That's true. That is true. <laughs> so I think a lot of people hear the story or see the trailer and think, oh, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> and if you haven't seen the trailer, we definitely suggest you go check it out. Uh, for the record, we are recording this a couple of days before the movie actually comes out. And even we have to admit, the movie does look like a lot of fun. However, like always, Charlotte and I are here to get to the bottom of the truth behind the story. Trust us, though, the facts in this particular case don't disappoint. Our story starts off with a man named Andrew C. Thornton II. We'll tell you now that this whole thing is unbelievable from the start, long before Mr. Escobar was even involved. So Andrew was born October 30th, 1944. 
we have the same birthday. You do? So what? Not, just not the same year. No, no, no. <laughs> Dina is a 300-year-old bog witch, so. Shh, we're not supposed to tell anyone. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> but what does that make you, uh, your star sign? Is that Libra? I am a Scorpio. So our buddy Andrew Ooh. here was a Scorpio, which kind of okay. makes sense. I was going to say a little bit of crazy sprinkled in there for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so not a ton is known about him, but we do know that he grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, where he attended a very prestigious private school. When he grew older, he attended a military academy and then went on to study at the University of Kentucky. He dropped out a semester later to join the army as a paratrooper. He received a Purple Heart a few years later. So far, he sounds like a young man with a pretty bright future ahead of him. He really does. He did drop out of school a second time, though. He wanted to work with his father, and he spent some time training horses for him. A couple of years later, after dropping out, he joined the Lexington Fayette Urban County Police Department. And you'll have to correct me if I said that wrong. I apologize. During this time, he took night classes and earned a degree in law enforcement. At first, his future in law enforcement appeared very promising. He ended up working for the Louisville office of the DEA. During this time, he took night classes and earned a law degree in 1976. He left the police force the following year to practice law in Lexington. It is highly believed that during this time, he used the connections that he made to build a smuggling ring that spanned across the globe. I mean, if you're gonna break the rules, what better way to understand the rules that you're breaking than studying law? I feel like this in itself could have been its own movie. Absolutely. In 1981, he was among 25 men that were accused of stealing weapons from the China Lake Naval Weapons Center. And for those of you, like us, who aren't familiar with that area, this is in Fresno, California. Yeah, and if that isn't bad enough, they were thought to have been conspiring to smuggle 1,000 pounds of the devil's lettuce into the States. They also accused him of being involved with a large organization called The Company. What a downfall for this guy. He pled not guilty and then fled the state. He was picked up again in North Carolina. When they found him, he was wearing a bulletproof vest and carrying a gun. Shockingly enough, the felony charges were dropped against him. He pled no contest to some misdemeanor charges, which led to six months in prison, five years on probation, $500 fine, and of course, the loss of his law license, which I don't know why they didn't take it away from him sooner, to be honest with you. Really, though, I mean, I think he got off pretty lucky considering the charges. We don't really know uh, much about what he was up to after this time, but it doesn't look like much of it was very legal. No, and on September 11th, 1985, he was on a smuggling run from Colombia. Like we mentioned, Thornton had a lot of experience when it came to jumping out of planes because of his time in the army. This came in handy when smugglers were forced to up their game when it came to hauling drugs across the border. Radar and other technology had made it so that it was possible for authorities to track suspicious planes. Using night vision and a parachute, they would fly over a drop zone that they had marked with beacons only visible to the pilot. They hid the drugs in containers that they had specially outfitted with radio transponders and infrared glow lights. Once they dumped them all, they would fly around with their doors open to ensure that any residue left behind would blow out of the plane. Sometimes they would actually dump the drugs and then all bail out of the plane to go find it. The plane crashing wasn't a huge deal compared to the amount of money that they could make from the drugs. 
which is honestly pretty terrifying because they were essentially leaving the planes completely unmanned to crash just wherever. Not to mention the fact that they were throwing giant containers of drugs out of them too. This actually resulted in the death of a cow after what they called a plummeting bale of marijuana fell out of the sky and hit it. Aww. I'm, I'm not going to lie though, this sounds like a really fun GTA mission. It truly does. Like, <laughs> it's so wacky that you're like, yeah, this is, yeah, GTA or like Saints Row or something like that. I would play the shit out of this game. Oh my god. On this day, he was carrying a large amount of cocaine. He threw it out of the plane, put it on autopilot, and jumped. It's believed that he hit his head on the tail of the aircraft. Unfortunately for him, his parachute did not open until it was far too late, and he began to free fall towards the ground. He died upon impact. The plane crashed almost 100 kilometers away in Hayesville, North Carolina. Amongst the remains of the plane, they found clothing and a map to Jamaica. Thornton's body was found hours later in the driveway of a Knoxville, Tennessee resident named Fred Myers. If the idea of stepping outside of your house, you know, like you're like, oh, I'm just going to go like grab the paper, mow my lawn or something. And then you see a dead man splattered in your driveway. Like if that's not bad enough, the way this man looked raised a lot of questions. You just, yeah. there's like a pile of jam with like oh my clothes God. on basically. Like, oh my God. He was wearing a bulletproof vest and had night vision goggles with him. He was dressed in very expensive clothing along with brand new Gucci shoes. Along with that, he had an army style duffel bag with him. It contained 75 pounds of cocaine, which was valued at over $15 million in 1987 money, as well as $4,500 in cash and six South African gold coins. The bag also contained various knives and pistols. He was linked to the crash plane when it was discovered that he still had the keys in his pockets. Stupid rookie mistake. <laughs> I mean, he's window, dead, bro. but yeah, exactly. You leave him in the plane. Like, what are he's you doing? Up. You don't need those. You're not going to recover oh, it. Oh, my God. When the DEA was questioned about the incident, they described it as cocaine literally falling from the sky. They also said that bags containing 220 pounds of 95% pure cocaine was still being recovered at the time. They attempted to trace the ownership of the plane further, but they were unable to. As far as they knew, the man involved was dead and the story was over. And for about three months, they were absolutely right. That is, until police were able to trace his path and find the crash site. When they went to look for it, they expected to find the smuggled drugs along with the crash. Instead, they found 40 opened containers and the corpse of a 175-pound male black bear whose face was still covered with white powder. We do want to point out that this is, without a doubt, a very large animal, but it's a huge difference from the portrayal of the bear in the movie. Yeah, their version of Cocaine Bear is a bloodthirsty 500-pound man-eater who chases after the locals and is willing to devour anything in his drug-fueled path. And while this does make for obviously one hell of a story, the reality is, is that the bear was probably out looking for berries or something when he found the drugs, consumed an ungodly amount of them, and then died. Unlike the movie, the real Pablo Escobar was never proven to have attacked anyone, let alone taken any lives. We were able to find one of the first public articles about the bear titled, Bear Believed to Have Overdosed on Cocaine Dropped by Parachutist. 
This article from December 22, 1985 was published by the AP News. In it, Gary Garner from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is quoted as saying, The bear got to it before we could, and he tore the duffel bag open, got him some cocaine, and OD'd. The article also mentions the possibility of cocaine bears, but they could only find evidence of one bear. A post-mortem exam was performed on the bear. The medical officer was quoted as saying, Its stomach was literally packed to the brim with cocaine. There isn't a mammal on the planet that could survive that. Cerebral hemorrhaging, respiratory failure, hypothermia, renal failure, heart failure, stroke, you name it, the bear had it. Along with them, sources like the New York Times also wrote about the wild find. I know I said I'm scared of bears, but I don't, like, dislike them or anything, and I feel pretty sorry for this big boy. So do I. I think he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, honestly. like Very much so. Does beg the question, though, since he ate, like, 40 containers, um... Is cocaine that tasty? Dear listeners, if we have um, anyone yeah, I mean, who I can be... answer that for us, I yeah. don't know. No, I personally um, don't know. I may partake in the um, devil's lettuce from time to time, but that is uh, strictly the end of my drug travels. Time to time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Every day. <laughs> But yeah, Uh, I just, like, this poor bear, like you said, he was probably, you know, snuffling around and then was like, oh, what's all this then? And then, you know, brain hemorrhage. (laughs) Yeah, I just picture him, like, walking around, sauntering, doing bear stuff, like, doing the thing where they scratch their backs on the tree. Oh, yeah, Right? And then he sees it and he's like, oh, what's that? And then dies. Oh, poor, poor Pablo Escobar. While the bear's insides were absolutely ravaged, to say the least, his body was, aesthetically speaking, uh, in pretty fantastic shape. Because of this, the medical examiner did not want to cremate him. Instead, he called a hunting buddy of his who was also a taxidermist. The body was preserved and gifted to the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area. He was displayed in their visitor center as a typical black bear. There was no mention of the cocaine or his wild past. The current owners of the bear, who we will get to uh, in a little bit more detail in a bit, did a very impressive job of tracking the wild journey that this poor taxidermy bear went on. But they knew they had to have him as soon as they heard the story. During the early 1990s, an approaching wildfire caused the facility to be evacuated. They were able to take some artifacts with them, including the bear who was put into temporary storage. And to make things even crazier, the bear then went missing about a month later. It did end up in a pawn shop. The owner would later testify in court that he had no clue about the bear's history. Apparently, this guy had a ton of really well-known clients who collected expensive and rare artifacts, and he thought this would be a great item to have in his shop. It was also actually sold to famous country singer Waylon Jennings, who claimed that the pawn shop owner called him as soon as it came in, and told him the whole story of Andrew Thornton and the bear's deadly drug binge. He purchased it for his friend Ron Thompson, thinking it would be a great gag gift. That is one hell of a gag gift. Can you imagine? <laughs> Surprise, bro. Here's a Coke bear. I mean, I I just love those little... um. The little taxidermied mice that are on, like, stripper poles and stuff. Yes, or the ones that have, like, little swords. 
Yes. Yeah. And so like that would, I would love that myself. And that's just, you know, what tiny, tiny. And then this guy rocks up with a whole ass taxidermy bear. I'd be a part of me would be thrilled. Like the weird part of me would be really excited about it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When Ron Thompson died, the bear was sold as part of an estate sale by a man called Xu Tang. He was the only one who bid on the bear during an auction and purchased it for a whopping $200. He then used it as a decoration in his medicine shop. When he passed away, his wife sold the store but kept the bear for herself because it reminded her of him. Oh, that's really kind of sweet. Apparently, she knew nothing about his history and just thought it was a regular old black bear. And we do want to point out that they were able to tell it was the same bear because of the type of scarring that it had on its abdomen, and also because they were able to track where it went. The current owners of the bear told her about the history of it and explained to her that they had spent the last few months trying to locate it. Apparently, she didn't really believe the story itself, but she saw how much trouble they had gone through and told them that they could just take the damn thing if they were willing to pay for the shipping. And like that, Pablo Escobar was moved to his current home as the mascot for the Kentucky for Kentucky Fun Mall, where he now spends his days as one of their main attractions. He is on display, and it is said that he is very well taken care of. Patrons are encouraged to take photos with him, but not to touch, and he is regularly brushed and cleaned. However, they do have an annual event where they dress him up like Santa, and kids are encouraged to sit on his lap for photos. He even gets regular outfit changes. In a lot of the famous photos of him, he is wearing a big blue hat, amongst other whimsical-looking get-ups. I have to interject with something I noticed about the bear, and I'm curious to know if anyone else sees it, but does it not look like he's crying? <laughs> like, no. the, like, if you look at a picture of him, like... It does, yeah. You can see the poor thing looks straight up haunted and i don't mean like with ghosts i mean with trauma i i mean he's seen some shit (laughs) he has he's had a life he also sports a chain around his neck that is attached to a sign that shows his name as well as a short version of the story at the bottom it reads don't do drugs or you'll end up dead and maybe stuffed like poor cocaine bear Apparently, he's a real huge hit with the kids. And as for the adults, they enjoy visiting him, too. Oh, man. I'm so torn by all of this. (laughs) I feel bad for the bear for dying and then being turned into a sideshow. But at the same time, like, I guess he makes people happy. I don't know. Like, this is ridiculous. We can't really talk about all of this shenanigans without mentioning the Cocaine Bear merch store. (laughs) So if you want to both laugh and somewhat feel like a terrible person for it, check it out for yourselves. But they have shirts, socks, what they call blow globes, and a ton of other stuff. Oh my (laughs) god! I'm not gonna lie, I would buy almost everything in the store the designs are actually pretty good i'm not gonna lie i did look at a couple of them when you sent me the link and i'd wear them for sure absolutely so now let's say you yourself visit cocaine bear with your love and you woo them by buying the most expensive cocaine bear hoodie you can find and you think to yourself wow you know what i could really get married right now well if the feeling hits you are in luck Because Kentucky happens to have very liberal and weird-ass marriage laws, Cocaine Bear himself can officiate your wedding. RoadsideAmerica.com says, As long as you feel that the person marrying you 
like Cocaine Bear, has the authority, then that marriage can be binding here in Kentucky. I saw this and I lost it. <laughs> like, it also says, quote unquote, a person like Cocaine Bear, like Kentucky, are you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry, Kentucky. Like, I can understand, like, oh, you know, having, like, your best friend or the captain of a ship marry yeah. you, etc. But Cocaine Bear, I will argue, is not a person. <laughs> he is a public figure, maybe, but sure, not a person. Sure. Apparently, though, he has not yet officiated any weddings, Aww. but we both have a feeling, I think, that that might change after the movie comes out and people find this out. And you know what? If uh, you are the kind of person that wants to be married by Cocaine Bear and you find that person that is willing to do that for you, then you've probably found true love. I would do anything for love, Charlotte, but I won't do that. <laughs> it's all so wacky. It, it sounds fake. Like, that's a thing. Like, it just does not sound real. Like, I feel uh... like I'm being lied to, but I know we're not. <laughs> no, the inspiration came from a very true place. Um, and of course... <laughs> We can't talk about his legacy without of talking about the big moment in the spotlight, the Cocaine Bear movie. And we are not sponsored, you guys. We have wanted to cover this for a little while, and it just seemed like a perfect um, opportunity to do so. Yeah, it worked out really, really well. And honestly, we're both really excited about the movie. Uh, honestly. You don't know, um, Elizabeth Banks directed it, and I think she's amazing. Oh, uh, 10 out of 10. Really star-studded cast. Uh, the late Ray Liotta is in it. Uh, like we said earlier, we just we can't wait for this one. It'll be interesting to see what the movie does for the overall popularity of the real bear. The true story isn't, of course, as violent and scary as the movie, but it is still one hell of a tale. And, dear listeners, that brings us to the end of the story of Pablo Escobar, a.k.a. Cocaine Bear. Although we both have a feeling he may still get up to some more kooky adventures yet. The current owners seem to intend to keep him for a long time, and we hope that wherever he is or wherever he ends up, that he is taken care of. Or, I mean, he's a dead stuffed bear. I, I hope he's at least treated with respect. I do feel sorry for the real bear, because it's still human interference that led to his death. I mean, how is he supposed to know that eating ungodly amounts of cocaine would be his downfall? Which, like I said before, it really begs the question, is cocaine that tasty? Someone needs to tell us. You don't. You know what? You can tell us anonymously. I don't yeah, care. absolutely. You don't incriminate yourselves. I am just genuinely curious. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he didn't manage to go on a rampage like his movie counterpart, um, because the thought of a coked out critter going nuts in rural Kentucky is, quite frankly, terrifying. My favorite genre of horror is the creature feature kind of film. Like mm -hmm. anything with a giant animal or monster attacking people is super fun in my eyes. <laughs> and I love bear movies. Uh, if you're looking for another good one to watch, I recommend checking out a movie called Backcountry. Oh, um, I don't think I've heard of it. It may be something we could consider for an upcoming Patreon movie night. It is actually the reason that I'm afraid of bears. Oh, so it's trauma. <laughs> it is, yeah. Just just another little notch on the trauma belt, you know? Uh, we most recently just watched Annabelle with our gang of cinephiles. Yes, and speaking of Annabelle, if you like haunted dolls, you should definitely check out our top five favorite haunted dolls countdown episode. We do also have uh, a smidge uh, extra time today, so we wanted to answer some of the questions we have been getting from all of you guys. Yeah, we're going to put our little interviewer caps on and interview each other. 
So our first question, uh, and I think a few people have been wondering this, is how did we get started? Uh, yeah, so I, I really like telling the story, and uh, <laughs> I might post this because I went through and I actually found the screenshot of this happening. Oh my god, that's yeah. awesome! <laughs> yeah, um, so what had happened was I had been wanting to do this for quite a few years. I started listening to a bunch of different podcasts, kind of 2000. 19 2020 kind of thing and um really really fell in love with it i've been into true crime for a long time and my problem was i couldn't find the right person to start a podcast with and i ended up kind of giving up and i was like you know what screw it i will do this by myself and <laughs> literally the next day i'm like doom scrolling on twitter Classic. and i see yeah right and i see charlotte posted something and at the time charlotte and i had we like Instagram knew each other. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to word it, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like mutuals on yeah. Instagram, basically. Yeah, like I thought she was pretty cool. You know, we kind of just followed each other, and uh, yeah. she she tweeted the feminine urge to start a true crime podcast <laughs> because and... <laughs> I have also wanted to start one, obviously, for a while, and I really wanted to initially start one with my sister, but my sister is a teacher, and she's just insanely busy all the time, and so she couldn't commit to it. And that's when I tweeted. I was like, I just want to start. I have a feminine urge to start a true crime podcast. And it's interesting because when we first started talking about this, we were considering doing a three-person podcast mm -hmm. for a little bit. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I see this tweet and I messaged her. Like It was like 45 seconds after she posted it. And I was <laughs> like, please don't think I'm crazy for how fast I'm replying, but are you serious about this? And I was like, uh, if you're serious, I'm fucking serious. Like, let's go. Let's yeah. do this. And uh, so we had like a little Discord meeting. I think it was like a couple days later. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, like, I wasn't sure what to expect from you because I just genuinely didn't know. And, no. And Charlotte shows up with like notes and she's ready. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is awesome. And uh, I don't know. It just it just worked out. Yeah, and I think it's, the thing is, is I'm glad in a way that we were more, I guess, like, distant acquaintances to begin with, because I think in a way, it's sort of like, helped grow the friendship, but also, it's good for me to hold myself accountable, because if it's just me, and I'm having like a lazy week, and not, I'm like, eh, I'm not gonna, I, I can't be bothered to record this week, right? If it was just me, it never would have taken off. Be but because there's another person there that you're working with, and of course, you don't want to disappoint that person, it like keeps you up to the same level to keep doing better, which is really good for my procrastinate ass. <laughs> I think it's good because <laughs> we have each other's backs, right? Like Exactly. Yeah. When, when I'm having some trouble with something, I can always, you know, go to you and be like, hey, can you help out with this? And it's mm -hmm. it's just nice to have someone to do this with someone that you can actually like rely on where the we can motivate each other. Yeah, absolutely. And we both have our um strengths as well, right? Like like Dina does a like pretty much 99% of the writing because that's not my thing but then I do the editing so I couldn't write and Dina probably wouldn't want to edit so I like it works <laughs> it works out really well that way it does yeah that's a really good question I like that yeah absolutely uh, so second question how do we pick our topics do we take turns picking topics or do we draw names from a hat um well it's kind of basically we have our 
sort of our research discord between the two of us. And when we come across things we want to cover or maybe we're researching for something and somebody else's name comes up and we're like, who's that? And we do like a quick dive into it. And it's like, oh, yeah, we got to cover them at some point. So we throw them all into like different categories on our on our research discord. And then basically we plan kind of like a few weeks in advance and we kind of talk about who we're going to do over the next like three to five episodes um and sometimes we have things planned and we get to that particular week and we're like oh no like that's not going to work for this week or oh my god we found someone way more interesting that we need to cover right now or whatever so there's not really like a process to it per se we kind of wing it but we do like you know, for our 50th episode, we're going to start like a really cool series that I think a lot of you guys are really going to enjoy. So like that we've had planned for quite some time. Yeah, same with our one year series that we're doing. We've got yes. uh, a big one planned for that too. Exactly. So we don't really have a like a solidified process, I guess. There is a little bit of method to the madness, but that's about it. We have, I'd say our list is probably like 200 topics now though that we want to cover. Mm-hmm. and close to growing it. pretty much every day like I feel like one of us puts something in at least a couple of times a week absolutely yeah yeah um so the next question is what is our favorite part of the podcast process Ooh. um my favorite part is honestly the research and the writing I love it I love <laughs> learning I love reading about things I try to challenge myself with every episode to at least teach everyone one new thing um, and to cover the topic in a way that's a little bit more thorough than it has been covered before Um, Mm -hmm. to me it's honestly like the most fun thing in the world like if I could be researching and writing every day I'd be the happiest person ever but it's yeah I think that's definitely my favorite is just like learning through the research and then teaching through the writing yeah and I I would not I don't enjoy the writing as much I do enjoy the research and like you say my mind is always thirsting for new knowledge Mm -hmm. which sounds really corny but I literally know (laughs) so much shit about so much shit all the time there's many things taking up space rent-free in my brain let me tell you when I find like a new piece of information a new piece of knowledge and then the fact that I get to share it with so many people who also love this it, it makes my heart very very happy it's it's a good feeling to get to talk to people about something that you're passionate about, knowing that they're passionate about it too. Mm-hmm. And I do also find editing very zen and very peaceful. It's nice to just sit back. It, it, I have to say, editing was a little weird at first because you have to get used to hearing your own voice, which is, as everybody I think can agree, <laughs> can be very torturous, at least in the beginning. But there's definitely times and probably like with today's episode where when I do go to edit, I'm kind of like smiling and laughing because I'm like, oh, my God, this was so much fun. Even when I hear us say something that we've already read and researched, I'm like, oh, my God, that's crazy. (laughs) I always know that we have done a good job when I get a message from you and you're like, I had a lot of fun editing this one. Yeah, yeah. It's I This whole uh, podcast process from like day one to now and, you know, beyond has been a lot of fun for a lot of cool reasons for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of work. Like, don't get us wrong. It's definitely 
a lot of work, but it's, mm-hmm. it's fun work and it's, it's different. It feels different when you're doing work that you're really, really passionate about and that you like genuinely, truly care about. And with that being said, <laughs> what would you say is your least favorite part of the whole process? Honestly, we're keeping a lot of secrets from our listeners right now. <laughs> and I am dying. Ah, oh, yeah. Like, I think my that's, I don't really have anything that I truly dislike about this. I think that I, I consider myself very lucky to do this. But I get so excited that I want to just be like, oh, my God, you won't believe what just happened or you won't believe what we're doing next month or in a few weeks or whatever, because we have so many things right now. And I I have a big mouth and I want to tell everyone (laughs) and I can't. And it sucks. (laughs) It's very much for me kind of um, the same way I feel about when I have like purchased a kick-ass gift for someone. It's like, I don't want to wait for your birthday. I don't want to wait for Christmas. I want to give it to you now. I want you to open it now and I want you to feel the joy. Um, Because, or like even when we're researching, I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. I want to tweet about this. And I'm like, no, you have to save it. (laughs) You know how many times like I've been reading about Cocaine Bear on Twitter and I'm just like, hey, 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 like I want to tell everybody everything. Or like when we were doing Delphine LaLaurie, mm-hmm. the amount of times I accidentally typed Belle Delphine. Oh my God, yes. And I just like wanted to tweet that so much, but I couldn't. Because oh, yes. there's just so many little things that happen and I have a big mouth and, and I can't. <laughs> the other thing, and it's not, it's really not part of the podcast process per se, but it's kind of one of those necessary evils. And I love talking to all the listeners and like all the wonderful people who have supported us and followed us. But I am really, maybe it's just I'm getting old and crotchety and cranky, but I am really starting to hate social media. (laughs) And it's not because of the podcast itself. It's just the social media part of it, honestly. Social media is tough. And I mean, you're right. It is a necessary evil. I, I definitely find that the older I get, the less I want to be present on social media. Like, I've I've gone through and, like, removed a few social media apps from my phone, so I only have them on my PC, and, like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to stay off of it. Because I'm yeah. at the age right now where I've realized how bad it is for you, and it's just, like, eh. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I mean, like, social media is it's just an evil beast all on its own. But, but it, you should it's... still follow our social media stuff, you guys. Yeah, I'm of saying. course you should. Yeah. Like you I said, follow. I love talking to you guys. I love seeing the stuff that you guys <laughs> send us and that you post and your opinions on stuff. That I love. It's the other 99% of people on social media. <laughs> Some of the comments that we've gotten on, like, YouTube and stuff, too, I'm just like... They've been silly. interesting. Don't, don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any tips for anyone wanting to start a podcast? What are your tips, Charlotte? This is going to sound corny and it's going to be the same thing you probably heard from a million other podcasters, but it's if you want to do it, do it. It's it is a lot of work, but if you are someone that has something to talk about within reason, of course, just like discounting men on TikTok with microphones, just saying. Um <laughs> But if if you're someone that wants to start a podcast and you have something that you're passionate about, it doesn't have to be fucking true crime. It can be whatever you want. It can be rocks. Um, it's, it's fairly easy to get going. And you don't have to wait for expensive equipment. You don't have to wait for any of that. If you have a mic and 
even a phone, honestly, you don't even need a computer and you need to sit in your closet with a blanket over your head as your little personal sound booth, just do it. Get you, get your friends and just, it's so easy. Yeah. And have fun with it too. I think of course the biggest thing, and I, I've, I've given this little tip out on different kind of versions on content creation or whatever, but like whenever you're creating something, look at it as the viewer, as the listener. Would you want to listen to this? Totally. If yeah. you didn't know you and you stumbled upon this, would you want to hear it? Like, how many times have you been, like, sat around with your friends, even if you're just, like, gaming on Discord or sitting around having beers or smokes or whatever, and you're like, God damn, we're funny as fuck. People probably think we're funny. Right? Go for it. Like... I'm well, all like, for it. Like I'm not. I, I I'm I'm not the kind of person that's like gatekeepy and is like, no. well, it's a lot of work. Man, man, man. Like do Support it. And you people. know what? If you try something and you fail, that's okay. You tried it. Yeah. I mean, you, you for don't have example, to try. It. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, obviously, Dina streams uh on Twitch every every day, just about. So that's that's your like full time thing. But there was a time when I was like, you know what? It would be cool as fuck to be a Twitch streamer, and I gave it a go. And I was like, mm, no, I do not have the personality for this, and that is okay with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then that's the thing. Like a lot of people are so scared of failure, but you find out whether or not something is for you. I mean, we could have failed miserably at this. Totally. And believe me, I am not someone that likes to start anything as a beginner. I'm very much the kind of person where it's like, I tried it. I wasn't an immediate expert in the matter. And so I quit <laughs> it. Um, so I get that for sure. But it's just take those first couple of steps, get your toe in the pool and see how it feels. And if it feels good, then go for it. Yeah, honestly, because it's a lot of fun. It really is. And is. I, I think that this applies to anything. I A lot of people are like, oh, you know, I want to learn guitar, but I'm an adult now. Like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who cares? Do it. Learn. Do new things. Yeah, absolutely. As we cheesy sound as like that life was. coaches. I know, I know. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is, too, is uh, be consistent. Yes. Because I have to say, and not to toot our own horn, because this is what the last, like, what, 10 minutes have been about, but um, if you do something, it's called practice, mm -hmm. is what it's called. If yep. you do something again and again and again, you get a little better each time. And I feel like when I'm editing every week, and I've told Dina this too, I feel like we get a little bit better every time. We improve something, you know, we also get to know each other a little better every week as well, because we've really only been friends for the past years so yeah, at this point absolutely. right and so yeah practice makes perfect that's so cheesy it's like just do it practice <laughs> makes perfect i believe in you but i do genuinely. we do believe in you <laughs> honestly no it's it's i think one of those things where like trying something new is definitely scary but of course of course and uh, it's scary to meet new people, too, as someone with anxiety. Uh, it's for sure scary to meet new people and talk to new people, but you never know where it's going to take you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, thanks for all your questions. We, yes. Uh, we've never really done a Q&A on the podcast, like, ever. No, and I f do like talking about myself, right? so. <laughs> you're, you're very good at it. Uh, <laughs> honestly, oh, like, I... <laughs> I think um, I, I, I like this. I like this. If you guys have any other questions for us, you know how to find us because uh, this was fun. This was different. Yes, but, uh, it yeah. was. So 
uh, if you are listening to us still at this point, we want you guys to know truly how much we do appreciate you. And if you want to support us further, you can do so by checking out our merch store on Etsy and our Patreon. And we do want to take a moment to thank our fan freakantastic Grim VIPs and up. A huge, huge thank you to Brian, Hillary, Mudkip, Lisa, Johnny, and Pink Flamingo 20. You the bomb. I don't think we have anything else to go over today, do you? No, I think we're good. All right. Then until next week, make sure you don't miss out on all the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. We're also on TikTok and on Facebook. Look us up. We are also available on most of those podcast platforms. You can find us on social media ourselves. We're going to link all of our socials below with some other fun stuff like we always do. Thanks, as always, for listening, guys. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. And did you know, allegedly, Charles Dickens owned a bookmark made of human flesh. And not just any human flesh, but the flesh of infamous Edinburgh body snatcher William Burke. (laughs) (laughs) He's He's just writing his wholesome books with his flesh marker. Yep, yep, you betcha. (laughs) Alright, bye guys. Bye!